Hello and welcome to the Coming Out of the Basement podcast for the second week of May 2012. I'm your co-host Carlos, and with me is your co-host BJ. Uh, today we're going to talk about zombie space pirates, menace or saviors. <laughs> BJ? Uh, I'm going to go with the uh, menace. Zombies are always a menace. Yeah, okay. So I suspect that isn't actually what we're going to talk about today, but I thought I'd throw it in there. It grabs everyone's attention. Zombies are the hip new thing. Okay, there you go. Um, today, what we're actually going to be talking about is uh, I'm covering the uh, Guild Wars 2 beta event. Everyone's kind of chomping at the bit for Guild Wars 2 to come out as the next big new MMO. And then, Carlos, we're going to kind of do a bit of a tabletop session with you, aren't, aren't we? That's the plan. So uh, let's go ahead and uh, – well, you know what? Let's, t- let's pause a moment. I think we have okay. to address, address something. Okay. Uh, the Avengers. The Avengers. Awesome. Right. Breaking <laughs> breaking records left and right, just That's right. punching them in the face. As a bit of a uh, disclosure here, I have seen it three times this weekend already. You scare me, sir. I saw it Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, each time in 3D. So <laughs> a more than a significant proportion of that $200 million this weekend did come from my pocketbook. I've only seen it once, but I hope to see it in 3D with Holly at some point, so... It, it was honestly everything I thought it would be. It was It was absolutely amazing, and I was... I was awestruck at the awesomeness of it. Definitely an awesome movie. And and speaking of, you know, the kind of things that geeks would like, you know, when you look at the list of top movies of all time in these opening weekends, we've got The Avengers, Harry Potter, Batman, The Hunger Games, Spider-Man. I mean, those all seem like very geek-friendly movies that, that have, have just broken these records. People are trying to figure out, like, how The Avengers did so well in its ability to break all these records. And someone brought up a good point. It was uh, the guy who writes Dark Horizons. He, he's an Aussie. He said, they've been hyping this thing since the first Iron Man movie, right? So this is an ad campaign that's been going on not for six months, you know, build up to the uh, the movie, but for four years build up to the movie. Yeah, and, and they did great. I mean, it, it's a really, really good movie. It's, uh, it, and it, if it was a terrible movie, that, that would have been... That would have been horrible after that buildup, but no, it, it does it does the whole genre justice. So yeah, uh, definitely, definitely, they did a great job with this. I think Marvel really needs to get its rights back for all of the properties that it has, because um, and, 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 its integrated universe stuff is working out really well. Yep, I would have to agree with that. I think you know Disney has a whole bunch of those characters now. They Disney got like over two hundred of their characters or something. They didn't get the entire Marvel portfolio, but they got a significant proportion of it or something like that. So yeah, I think if they get it back, I mean, it's it's pretty much assured that this is going to make a billion dollars, right? It's going to be in a very exclusive club of billion dollar movies, and that's going to give Marvel a lot of leeway to do whatever they want with their their IP. <laughs> Well, especially because, you know, you're going to have to go out and buy the regular edition and then the Blu-ray edition and then the collector's edition and then the director's So, you know, and I'm, by you, I actually mean you. I, I expect you're going to have it. So. I, I, I uh, do it now to where I just buy the all roll-up package. The the companies are getting a lot smarter with this thing. They, to where they, they really are. Yeah. They include a DVD version, a downloadable media version, a Blu-ray version, and you and if you pay just a little bit extra, you can get a 3D version. So you have like four different versions of the movie within one package. For, and it's pretty reasonable. You can get that usually for about 40 to 50 bucks or something like that. And I know that seems like a lot of movie to pay for, a lot of money to pay for a movie. But you know, that's your your Blu-ray player, your iPod, you know, whatever you can you can do with it. So it's becoming a new standard, I think, in the release uh, 
how they're doing these releases, these digital releases, and it's a smart way to do it too. Totally agree. And of course, I expect that you like the movie so much, you're going to go out and buy it for all of your friends and everyone who listens to the podcast. Is that how? How'd you know? It's going to be yeah, like a Christmas yeah. present for everyone right. I know. So there, there you go. <laughs> so what? What are we going to be? Oh wait. So first, though, uh, I wanted to say thank you for everybody who who's been listening, and we got an iTunes review. If you saw. We we did, um, but it's from my my buddy. We've mentioned every podcast, including this one. <laughs> uh, well, well, now we have. Come on, uh, but yeah, no, but no. That's that. Thank you very much for for the review. Uh, whenever I listen to podcasts, they always say that uh, those iTunes reviews are really important, and I never bothered to find out why. So I'll just take their word for it. So thank you very much for leaving the review. You are Come having on. some headset issues, aren't you? I don't know. Am I am I breaking up over there? Uh, you're kind of getting a little bit of an echo effect, and I just heard myself briefly on on your side for just a second there. Yeah, it, it has been a really weird technology issue day. It's taken me forever to fix uh, th- these computers, so I apologize if if, uh, if I'm coming across kind of odd here uh, it's, in, it's in not, the technical sense. It's not too bad. I mean, you maintain a steady uh, pace there for a moment. It's just every now and then, you know, not infrequently it does that. So I think we'll be okay through the majority of the podcast. Okay. Um so any other uh, – so A, thank you to, to, for the uh, the podcast review. That really helps us out a lot. Um, anyone else who can take a, a moment, just you know, half a minute to uh, go fill out a little review, we'd really appreciate it. Um, any other big news we've got to address before we um, bulk? I don't, I don't think so. I think, I think we're good to go. All right. So let's uh, go ahead. Uh, once again, we've got to give a shout-out to the uh, Tech Shop Boys. We are part of their burgeoning um, podcast network, uh, i.e. we are the only <laughs> one uh, member uh, thus far um, of their, their burgeoning podcast network. That just means we're a very exclusive group. I'm ex- exactly. That's what I was thinking. So you and I are on the same wavelength on that one. There you go. Um, so let's go ahead and get into the Guild Wars 2. Uh, let's let's go ahead and, and say it up front, though. Have you been playing the Guild Wars 2 beta events? Yes. And so have I. Mm-hmm. Uh, first impressions, I think they're doing a lot of very good stuff in the realm versus realm area. Right. So for those who are unfamiliar with it, PvP has always been kind of a big aspect of any MMO. The ability to do player versus player combat, get in and put yourself, pitch your, your skills and ability and your gear against another person. It's been done to varying degrees throughout the games. World of Warcraft is probably uh, one MMO that most people are familiar with. And in that game, they have arena combat with one versus one, two versus two, three versus three. And then they have the battlegrounds, which are these massive team fights. But overall, I would say World of Warcraft's PvP has always been kind of lacking. They keep on trying to balance the game towards PvP and PvE, and that's a tough thing to do. Guild Wars, the original Guild Wars, always kind of held a title as being known for having very high-quality PvP because that's what they're designed to do. There is PvE aspect in the original Guild Wars, but to be honest, the PvE in original Guild Wars was pretty poor. I'm going to disagree with you. I actually like the PvE a lot better than the PvP in Guild Wars, especially as time went by. Because as time went by, the PvP just got worse and worse and worse, and they kept on having to rebalance and rebalance and rebalance. So your your skills changed from like time to time. So I, I and and there was a really extensive PvE story, especially when you got into the expansions. So uh, yes, I agree. Guild Wars definitely known for its PvP, but uh, uh, I I thought its PvE was pretty solid. I will agree that it got better. I I played the original Guild Wars at release. I wasn't that impressed with the PVE. 
it just, just seemed like something that was there to kind of grind your character up high enough to start doing the PvP stuff. Um, so I, I honestly don't know how good the, the expansion stuff is, so I'm more than willing to take your word on that one. I, I never got into the expansion storyline stuff. Mm-hmm. I will say, however, that for Guild Wars 2, they've really tried to do a focus on both areas. I did a lot of the PvE. I did a lot of the PvP. Both of it came off very good, very polished. They try to give everyone an individualized story, and even within – when I say everyone, usually you think, oh, that means there's a class, there's a storyline for the fighter, there's a storyline for the cleric or whatever. But even then, you can subcategorize it because you have to pick a personality for your character, and the story changes based off of the personality you pick. So I made two different human characters. One was a street urchin and the other was a noble, and my storyline was very different for those two characters even though they were the same class and the same race. Yeah, and uh, each each race has at least three different of that type of, uh, of storyline, which was kind of interesting. They really did pay attention to the writing on it. Uh, one of the head writers is Jeff Grubb, who you might know from TSR. Uh, you know, going back to the RPGs, he helped create uh, Dragonlance, Spelljammer, Forgotten Realms, and stuff like that. And and he's done a lot of writing, and he's he's done a, he's got a lot to do with those stories. And I think uh, from everything I've seen, he's done a pretty cool job. And then once you start getting out of the PvE, there is a very robust PvP aspect, not just in a let's throw all of our warm bodies against all of your warm bodies. They tried to give it more rhyme and reason and make it more competitive in nature, and that's where the realm versus realm stuff comes in. So you don't fight against anyone on your server, you know, unless you're doing the normal, like, you know, I challenge you to a duel type of stuff, but it's your server versus two other servers and you fight for control of of territory across the three different realms you can do siege weapons you can you can engage in siege combat versus castles you can claim land you claim resources uh that will then earn boons for your guild you can have multiple guilds that you represent for these battles and stuff so they really took time to explore what would make competitive gaming fun in the pvp aspect you're right balancing player abilities is always going to be a large part of the game and it's always going to be something that's going to be fine-tuned over and over again because play styles change and characters change and they want to introduce new abilities new items that's going to introduce new um loopholes and and new uh gimmicks that are are maybe unbalanced and stuff like that so it's just an it's an unfortunate aspect because an mmo is never static and because it's never static the balance has to be constantly tuned to accommodate for that yeah, and the server, the server versus server thing, I think, is really interesting because that's a big shift from the original Guild Wars, where there was basically one giant world, and then every single thing you did was instance. Whereas this one, it's it's a, it's servers that are competing against each other. But one really cool thing they did is that you can guest on other servers. So, like, if you have your friends on another server, you can go do some guest stuff with them. And uh, and uh, and they're also setting up. Uh, unlike Star Wars, they're going to have uh, server transfer at launch, which I think is great. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think they're trying to make it friendly to play with you know, different, your friends and different groups of people uh, as much as possible. And that's what the real key is nowadays is there's what they call the quality of life features. Um, be ha- Have certain things like look for group installed into the game already, uh, character transfers, a whole lot of things that – 
people maybe don't consider core, you know, I'm going to use air quotations here, but core to an MMO, to a massive multiplayer online game. But these quality of life things make the experience just so much easier to navigate uh, the MMO because, you know, in the beginning, it almost feels like you're doing a marriage because you're signing up for a server, you're making your character there, and that your character is going to be on that server, right? Right, right. And then you find out you got five buddies who are on another server, and the thought of, you know, starting all over again could be daunting for some people. Other people love it. You know, they love making alts, and they, you know, make alts all day long. But some people, I know some people who just make one character and they stick with that character throughout their entire career. Yeah, and even even making even I make a lot of alts, but even doing that, you know, again using Star Wars as a comparison, I had one character that got all the way to fifty, and uh, with people not really playing that anymore, I'd love to be able to jump servers, and I can't. So you know that that can be really frustrating. I agree. Those extra things like server transfer, the extra things like guesting, uh, I think those are really important in the game in in an. MMO game where the social aspect and playing with other people is so important. Uh, I, I find it really odd that you have games that are uh, starting without it because right now and there's a lot of MMOs and there are a lot of free-to-play MMOs. So when you're going to compete, it's those kinds of things I think they are going to make a huge difference. Uh, the game feels a lot like uh, one of the earlier MMOs called Dark Age of Camelot. Uh, Dark Age of Camelot was one of my favorite uh, MMOs back in the day, and it had a, a system to where every server had three realms, and the three realms were in constant war against each other, and it had siege, and it had castles, and, and capture points, and all that stuff, and you know, this is stuff that they established you know, many years ago, and, and, and it was a very early concept, but it didn't seem like any other game really caught on to that. And within Dark Age of Camelot, it made the combat in there seem very interesting, right? The PvP had a purpose. Uh, you could capture it was like some kind of a beacon or some type of you know this this relic that provided a, a global buff for everyone in the realm mm-hmm. and it could be stolen from you for a period of time meaning you didn't get that buff the enemy got the buff so th- there was a a benefit to uh, participating in PvP be it you get an enemy's relic or just to defend your own relic right right mm-hmm. and so and and the fact that it's realm versus realm compensates uh, helps compensate for the bloat factor um per side right because there's there's always going to be one side that's bloated than the other side and will cause a balancing issue right sure just like in world of warcraft for the longest time alliance had so many more people than horde because nobody wanted to play quote-unquote ugly characters right and the hordes always like horribly hunched over and stuff like that it just didn't appeal from a visual aspect to people so alliance was very they outnumbered horde you know significantly and then horde got the blood elves and everyone went over to go play the pretty blood elves and it, it caused a lot of issues just from a raw you know numbers mm-hmm. um alliance would regularly go in and just stomp um and even in the, in the earlier version of Guild Wars, they had the Guild Wars factions and the uh, and Nightfall series where they had those different sides. And the same thing happened, where one side kind of dominated uh, for quite a while. So yeah, those, those things happen quite regularly. And the benefit, and I experienced this in Dark Age of Camelot with the 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 you know three realms against each other. There is going to be one realm that comes across as the 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 big brother, right? He's going to be, you know, the the most populated one. But then. It just kind of naturally happens. It's not even a spoken thing, but the other two realms will just naturally team up against the largest one, right? Mm -hmm. And so – and then it creates this constant struggle. It it, it works out, I think, better when you have this 
three teamed or three realm system from a balancing perspective of just sheer numbers, I think it works out better that way. Yeah, I agree. So uh, a lot of good things in there. I think the game's also going to cause some issues for people who are maybe unfamiliar with MMOs or people who are just so entrenched in regular gameplay for MMOs because there's no real questing system. Um, not in the traditional way. I mean, there, there, there are, there is, and there isn't. Right? They, they have the starting quest line that you go through, but most of it you have to find through exploring. And even then, people are going to expect, you know, they're going to expect a very linear fashion for the questing. In that, I go to point E, point A, I talk to person B. Person B tells me to get, you know, ten bear asses or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You go get those, turn them in, you get your gold. He tells you the next place you can get a, a quest from, right? That's sort of the standard that's been established since, you know, EverQuest and, and you know, World of Warcraft just really solidified that system and everyone's kind of followed suit. And that is kind of, kind of in Guild Wars, except you don't talk to anybody per se. You go to an area and it opens up an event. Everyone can participate in the event. And then once the event is done, everyone gets credit. And then there are specialized events like, you know, maybe a, a boss pops up. Right. It's it's balanced for the number of people in the area, meaning that if there's 20 people there, then a certain number of zombies might spawn. If there's 40 people, then more will spawn. And and, and similarly, um, that, that it's, if you've ever played Rift or seen Rift, it's the same kind of thing where you have those those basically world events where, uh, yeah, like that special boss that you, that you mentioned, um, that kind of thing happens there. Yeah, so, but the only people you actually like talk to for questing is during your story quest, and that's kind of spread out, you know, per level and stuff like that. So everything else is you do is sort of this, <clears throat> this area event type of thing that you don't really have to talk to anyone for. You just kind of start getting into the thick of things as soon as you get there. It's, I think it's going to confuse some people in the beginning because they're just, it's so against the grain of how people are used to participating in these types of games. One of the interesting things that they're doing um, with Guild Wars, and I, I don't know if you're planning to talk about this, but they are doing microtransactions. Right? It's not a subscription-based uh, game. It's you purchase it, and then they have uh, a microtransaction kind of thing where you can you can buy their currency, which is gems, and you can buy extra things there. Thank you for reminding me about that. I, I actually, yeah, I was, I was planning on talking about that. The uh, well, the original Guild Wars was not subscription based, and that's what entices a lot of people to go to Guild Wars because they don't like paying fifteen bucks a month for a game, and you don't have to for Guild Wars. But I, the, the the new system is microtransactions. I don't think you're going to ever get away from it now because it's it's been you know Pandora's box has been open. People and and it's actually revived and kept alive a lot of MMOs that. Otherwise, probably would have gone by the wayside, right? You know, Dungeons that, and Dragons that, Online, Champions Online, all this good stuff. DC Universe, yeah. Mm-hmm. DC Universe, Star Trek Online. Mm-hmm. They all still exist because they said, all right, we're not making enough from our monthly subscription. So we're going to switch to microtransactions. And the microtransactions uh, are just cool things, right? They don't – usually they don't give you the ability to pay you know, 20 bucks to get the ultimate weapon of doom that can kill everyone. But instead – it gives you skins. Um, it maybe gives you like a little EXP bump elixir for you know a certain period of time. These little tiny quality of life are just little tiny cool things like oh I got a really cool cape you know that I can equip. That's all done through microtransactions nowadays, and it's all cosmetic or what have you. 
and it's actually kept a lot of MMOs alive. Uh, even though Guild Wars doesn't have a subscription, they are going to jump on the microtransaction bandwagon, uh, which is smart. I mean, it's 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 revenue. Mm-hmm. I think it's smart of them to start the game with no subscriptions because that really keeps people interested, right? That they don't feel that pain of that monthly money going out, and that makes them wonder why am I still playing this game? I haven't logged into it for you know X number of days. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, Star Trek as one of those examples. I'm hoping they don't go quite as crazy as Star Trek did with the microtransaction stuff. Because when Star Trek came out, I wasn't super impressed with it. But actually, I really like it now. I like the current version, the, the free-to-play version with all of those episodes. Because there's a lot of content now. And it's, it's a lot of fun. The microtransaction stuff is a little crazy, though. Because once you hit max level, in order to get the max level ships, you got to pay money. And that's or, – or if you not pay money, uh, spend like – months and i think jim thought that if you played every day for about a year he'd be able to afford the high level ship without paying money so i mean it, it that's a little crazy and i'm hoping that they don't go that route <clears throat> well i mean it's yeah i i completely agree uh, I, i've been playing star trek myself i i think i have like just about every free mmo installed with you know characters of various levels just because you never know what might like you know you, you might fancy so i got i know i got lord of the rings installed and i got star trek installed and champions and all that good stuff so why not i mean it's free so yeah, right um so yeah we're not going to get away from microtransactions let's just hope that they keep it in line there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with microtransactions but you can't make the game you, you, you shouldn't make it to where you feel like you have to do it to um accomplish something big in the game it should be little right. quality of life things or little cosmetic things yeah, I, I, I agree. So, but all in all, I think Guild Wars 2 is going to do a great job. I know a lot of our friends are looking forward to it. I had fun uh, during I, the, the beta weekend. Yeah, so did I. <clears throat> and you see a lot of, uh, a lot of if you played the original Guild Wars, there's a lot of stuff that you would recognize, and but enough change that it, it's, it is an entirely new game. So it, it is very cool. My favorite class, again, was the Mesmer, like in the original Guild Wars, but they all were pretty interesting. Engineer, man. I was engineer, engineer was awesome, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that brings up another good thing that we haven't talked about yet. They're trying to get rid of the Holy Trinity. Yes. And when I say the Holy Trinity, I, I don't mean, you know, the, the, the religious one, but I mean the tank healer damage dealer, right? That's sort of been the staple of MMOs for a, a while now, that you have to have a tank, someone to maintain um, aggro, Make the all the enemies aggressive against them. Healer to keep the tank up, and then a bunch of damage dealers to burn down whoever you're fighting. That is not present in this game. It's there to a minor degree, to to a, a, a small degree, but you don't have to sit there and be like, "I'm the tank, I'm the healer, I'm the DPS." Everyone is capable of defending themselves through abilities, and everyone is capable of healing themselves through abilities, and those can be enhanced through. Um, specialization and stuff like that. Do you think that, I mean, because I didn't get high enough level to see in-game content, do you think that's a viable model? Um, I suspect as we get to the in-game content, we're going to see a little bit more specialization. But one of the cool things is, so we, we didn't mention this yet, but the way one of the ways you switch out powers is by switching out your weapons and switching out your like kits and stuff like that. And, and that determines your power set. And you can also use your skill points as you level up to purchase special powers. Um, but, and some of those, I, I know for the Mesmer and for the Engineer, you can go and specialize in healing. And I assume that's actually true for most classes. So that a lot of your powers become 
healing related powers. I suspect we will see some a little bit more of that as with for the in-game content, but it's so easy to switch back and forth between, you know, just by equipping and unequipping something, you have a completely different powers. So I, I think that, that it is going to be there to a limited amount, but it's not going to be like that's what you're stuck doing for your entire career. Uh, yeah. it, it, it did feel weird for... And not weird in a bad way. Just did feel weird that all of my powers are related to the weapon I'm wielding. Mm-hmm. It's just a style of gameplay that I'm not used to. And that if I throw on a great sword, my bar completely changes uh, instantaneously versus if I throw on a, a sword and board. Right? Yep. Uh, yeah. I had it, a lot of fun with that. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. It, it just feels like I kind of maxed out my my skill set already. You know very early on and then I'm just waiting for all these other abilities to kind of trickle in every 10 levels. So that that's my only real complaint. I didn't feel like I got the carrot every level like I'm I'm used to. Yeah, I'm not sh- I'm not quite sure how that's going to work because I saw uh, cuz the the beta only went to level oh what was it? It wasn't very high. Uh 13 or so or I I I forget but maybe not even that high and and I saw that there were options for like a ton of customization for your character going up in level but I didn't get a sense of how that actually happened so yeah I'm 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 hoping the same thing cuz you don't necessarily get something every level especially early on you don't necessarily get something every level but it looks like at higher levels you get a lot of trait points and I don't quite understand how that's going to work uh but yeah I I agree it, it's different and players, I think players, and, and this is true not just in MMOs, but like we're going to get into tabletop games in a little bit. And I, I think it's important to have those little carrots that people get upon leveling up or whatever, because it keeps people interested in their characters. It keeps them from getting bored with you know the skills that they have and stuff like that. And so during the leveling process, and so I think it's important to give those little you know carrots or, or, or those little rewards for leveling up. And if they stretch them out too far. I think it's going to make the leveling process feel like a grind, and you yeah. don't want the, you don't want the leveling pl- process to feel like a grind. That's that's how you lose people, right? And that's especially true with this kind of unique quest system, um, where you have to go out and explore for things. You don't want that to be you know you ha- you explore because you absolutely must explore. You want to explore because it's cool and fun and interesting, and you know you get that carrot and everything else like that, but not not for the grind. That's what you want to avoid at all costs. <clears throat> so you know some minor things to be worried about i think they're trying um some new things that could work out really well may or could not work out as well as they were hoping it's all kind of up in the air at this point you know the, the beta was just about complete but there was still a lot of stuff that we could have experienced that we didn't get to experience uh, i think the real saving grace of all of it though is they do have a very robust pvp system that should keep people fairly interested and keep the in-game content um, interesting and different, right? Because yeah. when you do dungeon runs for your indie game content over and over again, that gets very rote and it gets very tiring and it, it becomes boring. But when it's a more of a PvP system, you know that changes up. Your your opponents are different. You're doing this, you know, this uh, tug and pull for territory and stuff like that. And you feel like you have something invested in it because you're defending your land, your realm, your your server, your people. So. It's not just you adventuring with four people next to you. It's you adventuring with like 40 people next to you or 50 people next to you. And that, that ups the stakes a little bit. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I've, I've always been a little bit more into PVE than PVP myself. Uh, so I, I am very curious to see how this, how this turns out. Um, I've done PVE and, and a PVP and, and I enjoy PVP occasionally, but especially when I play with, with some of my friends, um, 
they are not at all into PvP. Uh, so uh, uh, yeah, we'll so we'll see how that goes. And the we, only thing I don't like is forced PvP. Like the worst experience I had in a game was in Conan. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. Where you know you just go out and people just like put you down. You know, level forty dude, and you're level one, and he just splatters you all over the place. And then they can camp your spawn site, and then yep. you know, I got no reason to play at that point, right? So yeah, that is the, exactly that is why our friends. That's why we all quit Conan, I believe. So yes. I remember that, <clears throat> and that's almost why I punched Matt in the face. Yeah, well, there you go, man. Yeah. He probably deserved it. So. <laughs> Sorry, Matt. Not really, though. I don't think you listen, so it's okay. Okay. (laughs) Well, there you go. All right, you ready for some tabletop loving? Yeah, let's 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 talk about that, and I'll definitely rely on uh, some of your assistance for that. So, last like I said last week, uh, this past week was super crazy, so I didn't have as much time to go into this as as I had hoped. However, just looking at the, these board game tabletop game type things, there's so much to talk about that I know uh, we'll be talking about them again uh, at some point soon. And I do know of some people who are complete experts in this, so I'm hoping that one of these days I will tap some of y'all and. And uh, and ask, invite you to talk about some of these things because uh, I'm by no means an expert, although I've played some. So yeah, uh, we're going to talk about tabletop games. And I was really tempted to just have a, a really short section, and the entirety of my section would be Board Game Geek. That's it. But uh, I'm going to go a little bit more than that. Board Game Geek is a website, boardgamegeek.com. It is an awesome website. It talks about a billion tabletop games. Uh, on the, it, it, it gives you reviews. It gives you strategies. There are forums for each game. You can trade games with other people. You can make frames. If you are at, uh, uh, if you are at all interested in board games, uh, tabletop type game things, you should go to Board Game Geek. Check it out. Uh, whenever you see a game in the store you're interested in, I highly recommend you to look it up on that site. It's an awesome, 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 awesome website. They have a giant convention in Dallas every year. sells out every single year. Um, but definitely check it out. BoardGameGeek.com. Super cool. Um, so tabletop games. What do we mean by tabletop games? Uh, it kind of depends on who you ask, I think, a lot of times. I know some people who use the term tabletop games as like code for RPGs. You know, when they're talking about people, but they don't know if those people are going to be cool with it. So like, oh, they play tabletop games. And and so, yeah, nudge, nudge. Um, But yeah, tabletop games, basically, I I think of them as differentiating from uh, like sports or video games, mostly. So a lot of different types of games can fall into uh, that realm. And that's like, you know, card games, uh, what we call the traditional board games, uh, miniature games, stuff, stuff basically that you that you play around a table. and like I said, I'm by no means the expert on this, so I'm going to talk about uh, some of the ones that got me started in these types of games uh, early on. Um, <clears throat> before I go into that, there's a lot of ways that people organize these games. Uh, a lot of people, you know, there's games that they call stochastic games, which have a, a heavy random element like cards or dice and stuff like that. And then there's the more uh, deterministic games, which are less random, uh, which stuff like chess and like Go and those kinds of things for looking at, at regular games. Uh, there's also competitive games and cooperative games, and some people like different elements of those. And then, of course, you can also organize them by format, like card game, board game, minis game, so on and so on. There's also a kind of game that people call European-style games or German-style games, which tend to be more you know, building economic make resource management games, and we've definitely played those, like Settlers of Catan, Parkinson, Ticket to Ride, those, those kinds of things, and we've had a lot of fun with those. Um, however, what got, got me started with the non-RPG games was in my early college years, which was a little card game called Magic the Gathering. 
EJ, did you did you have the magic of time in your life? Um, um, oh, I can hear oh, I can myself hear in your your thing. Weird. Yeah. Um, so yeah, of course I I I played Magic: The Gathering uh, all through high school into college to the point where we had Magic: The Gathering drinking games. Um, stay up till seven a.m. playing Magic and drinking and 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 being all miserable the next day. So yeah, Magic: The Gathering was a, a fairly large part of my life. You know, just in conjunction with also i played a lot of risk access and allies dungeons and dragons some white wolf some gurps rifts traveler so when it comes to table you know one of the things that you know i I think there's classification like if you talk to somebody and they say i'm a video gamer and you say okay well what video games do you play and they go oh i play all sports games some people might might not consider that really a quote unquote gamer, right? Because there's a bit of a class based system there. Also, they they think more like you know uh, playing a uh, first person shooter or a strategy game. That's more quote unquote video gaming, and, and sports games doesn't fit under that, but it does. So within the video game realm, there are subcategories, mm-hmm. and the same goes for tabletop games, just like you said. And they kind of bleed over to each other a little bit, but some people just like to play the, the, the role-playing games. Some people just like to play the board games, but it's definitely a very wide and broad topic. Definitely. And uh, yeah. And, and, and there's of course a lot of room for a lot of different types of interest and play styles in that uh, magic, I guess, let's see. Magic came out. I didn't play it when I first came out. It came out in 1993 uh, invented by Richard Garfield and was bought by Peter Atkinson over at wizards of the coast. And that was really their big, their big, big thing for a while was Magic the Gathering. Um, they came out with the revised edition in 1994, and that is about when I started playing, when I was a, a freshman in college. And it was super popular in college, uh, weirdly enough. Uh, the dorms were full of people playing Magic the Gathering. Um, it was uh, a little too addicting, I think, for a lot of people. Uh, I actually know somebody who ended up failing and dropping out of college because he spent all of his time and all of his money playing Magic the Gathering that year. So uh, I felt really bad for him, but but there you have it. Um, and I think it was probably the first of what we call the collectible card games. And it's collectible because uh, you basically buy – this isn't the case all the time, but it is the, underneath the normal setting. And certainly back then, you bought random decks and random boosters. And there's a certain amount of common cards, a certain amount of uncommon cards, and a certain amount of rare cards in each of those. And if you wanted to build the super deck and especially your super theme deck, uh, you had to buy a lot. Uh, and so, uh, that was, that was the collectible part of the collectible card game. Nowadays, they still do that to a certain extent, but they also build, they also sell pre-built decks. So decks that'll immediately work when you buy them and you can go and play with them in different types of competitions and stuff like that. But, uh, the collectible part was a big part of it. Uh, the way magic works is that you play the part of a wizard. So, you know, if you're already playing an RPG, it's not something that's probably too foreign to you. And you have these different types of, uh, magic, the different colors of magic, right? Five different styles. Uh, so there's white, which is, uh, law, community, order, lights, stuff like that. You know, stuff that you tend to, tend to, um, uh, uh, associate with like good because they have like the angels and stuff like that there. Uh, you've got blue, which is the kind of the meta one or meta trickery illusion. It's got like the counter spells and the drawing cards and stuff like that. Uh, you've got black, which is the death and corruption and illness one. Again, it kind of seems kind of evil as opposed to white and stuff like that. You've got red, which is basically the pure destruction, lightning, fire kind of, uh, kind of magic. And you've got green, 
which is the life and nature and summoning stuff. And basically you pay, you, you build your deck so that it has a certain amount of land cards that are based on these colors, like planes being uh, for white and islands being for blue and so on. And you have to, and you draw cards every hand and, and you basically put down the cards for your lands and you use that to power your spells. And your spells are stuff like, um, uh, summoning a monster or doing direct damage or doing weird things to, to, to the, to the field. And, um, and that is where you, and a lot of games use this for tapping. So you put down like your mountain and you tap it, which means you turn it sideways, and that means that you've spent it to get its resource. Um, and like I said, a lot of games use that, uh, but also Wizards of the Coast took out a patent on that back in 1997. So technically, you have to get permission from Wizards of the Coast if you're making a game that does tapping until 2017. <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to say... Um Wow, that's weird. Like the longer you talk, the word the no, that's weird. Um, so a lot of games now will have it to where they say, okay, rather than tap, like flip your card, turn your card, or something like that. You're absolutely right. They did. It's so weird. I mean, it, it's sort of like Apple copywriting the curved nature of their screens, or something like that. Right. It, you know, it's just it's it seems like something weird. Why should you be able to? You know, copyright that. Um, so yeah, uh, it it just is what happened with them, I guess. Yeah, and uh, no one's ever really challenged the patent, as far as I know. I, I, was, I haven't found anything like that, so it's not it's not like a huge thing. But yeah, I, I just found that that was a weird patent to have been granted. Um, so I I really haven't played Magic since uh, since college, uh, since I'm undergrad specifically. Um, Partly because it was expensive and I didn't want to spend all that money on magic. And partly because, and then I ended up giving my cards to a friend of mine who was really active in magic. I say lent them my cards, but then they got lost in Hurricane Katrina. So that I actually don't have any magic cards anymore. Um, but luckily everyone was okay. It's just, you know, cards is much better than losing people or pets or anything like that. So completely I, agree. Completely uh, agree on that one. So what I have played a bit more recently, though, uh, since I'm not playing collectible, and there's been other collectible card games. I mean, Yu-Gi-Oh is one, Pokemon. Um, there was Jihad for a while, Legend of the Five Rings and stuff like that, uh, using very similar mechanics. But uh, the collectible part is just, it's too much, I think, for me anyway. It's, it's, it's spending a lot. I mean, people can buy, you know can buy themselves to be better players and stuff like that. Much like with the video games, that that's kind of difficult. Uh, I think that's, that's problematic uh, because people with more money have a better chance of, of doing well. And, and that's not necessarily skill-based. Um, that's not the, like I said, that's not the case for everything. They have like what they call sealed deck tournaments and they have pre-built tournaments, which, which is, which is fine and good, but just the overall collectible nature, I'm not a huge fan of. Uh, what I have been playing though is they've come out with other types of card games, the not quite as collectible card games, uh, like Ascension and Dominion. And I know you've played a lot of Dominion. Did you ever play Ascension? Um, I never, I never played Ascension, but I did play. Uh, we played a lot of Dominion, and that's one that we really like. We have all the expansions, and we really get into Dominion and the um, the uh, the nature of it. So, well, let's let's talk a little bit about Dominion then before going into that. Uh, Dominion, I believe that's a Rio Grande. I'm gonna check. Yes, it is a Rio Grande Games uh, uh, game, and basically, it is a deck building game uh, where you you um, there, and there's a certain amount of randomness 
depending on how you play it, you always have victory cards out, right? And and you have to buy those victory cards with with the resources to become a winner. You also have um, treasure cards, which you can buy to give yourself money, and then you have what they call the action cards. And those are the random cards, right? Those are the ones that you play in the middle and that everybody has to um, buy as the game goes on in, in order to play effects. Can you, uh, you can probably explain that much better than I can. The, the point of Dominion is it's not Okay, so Magic the Gathering was they call a, a TCG, a trading card game. Yes. And then um, what they call Dominion is they call it a deck builder game in that you start the game with just 10 cards. You kind of shuffle through your cards. Um, you cycle through them, in, through them on a regular basis, picking up new cards from the same pile that everyone else can pick up. So there's no... There's no unbalanced factor in that, you know, someone might have a card that you don't have because you can't afford it. Everyone has access to the same group of cards, and it's more about strategy at that point. It's more about strategy, and it's a lot about luck also, about what, what you get in your hands and stuff like that. There, there's definitely um, cards that lend themselves to certain combos, and it's about how you manage your resources. You know, what are you getting to keep your deck built what are you getting to keep your deck lean because you don't want your deck to get too bloated because then it, it takes trouble it takes a long time to cycle through to get useful cards right and and so whenever you buy any cards whenever you buy the victory cards whenever you buy the treasure cards whenever you buy the action cards those all get added to your deck and every round you draw a new hand and every round you just you either use it all or discard it and then you, you keep on drawing a new hand every single round so whenever you buy those victory cards whenever you buy those treasure cards those get added to your deck and if you can can't use them right away it's kind of like having a wasted card so if you draw like a, you, you need that you absolutely need those victory cards to win but if you draw them in your hand it might not be as useful as getting another kind of card that you could use to like buy something that does something cool right so what part of that strategy is you have to kind of balance between buying the action cards the stuff that you that you that you need to to give yourself uh, these actions or give yourself the ability to buy things or give you know, affect other players and but also making sure that you're not overwhelmed by victory cards. That's all you have to draw. <clears throat> and the uh, the point of the game is, of course, to get enough victory points to win. But it really becomes a matter of what can you do to build your deck and then hamper the other players. It, it's I think it's better than, than Magic, just because for the reasons we've already stated, in that money doesn't determine the game, right? Right. Money out of game money doesn't determine the game, right? Out of game money doesn't determine the like. I remember I played Magic for a very long time. I used to play a, a goblin deck. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a little minion deck, you know, all red. I could just summon goblins and over and over again. The goblins were fairly weak um, creatures, not high defense, not high attack. But the point was, I could summon tons of them, tons and tons and tons of goblins, um, to the point where I'd have you know dozens of them out. And far too often, um, a ten or fifteen dollar card could just shut me down, mm-hmm. right? Um, where none of my cards were that expensive, right? You know, twenty five cents here or there. This is, you know, they they were all pretty cheap. It was meant to be a, a mass minion deck, but you know, if someone was willing to pay the money for a certain card, you know, Wrath of God or something like that, which I'm not going to say is like a super duper rare card, but it's rare enough to to be expensive. But one card, you know, all of a sudden, boom, everything, I'm, I'm wiped out by just one one thing, right? Yep. Yeah, whereas you, you don't really have that problem with Dominion. Um, 
one so so far my my only issue with Dominion or I shouldn't even Dominion it's, is not actually with the game. The only difficulty I've had with it is they have they have a bunch of bunch of bunch of expansions, and if you don't play it regularly, you don't know what all those cards do necessarily. So especially when when you're playing with other people who do play it regularly, that can get a little uncomfortable because you end up kind of slowing down the game where everyone's like ready to go. So uh, that that can be a little awkward playing with people who play it a lot. But you know, as long as people are cool with it, I, I think it's a it's a really fun game. I think that's applicable to a lot of things, though. Like it's a it's a muscle. If you don't use it, it, it atrophies. Like when we tried to play, uh, when uh, we tried to play Dungeons and Dragons again, and a bunch of the guys hadn't played D and D for a while, you know, all of them were like, "How do I play this game again? When can I use an action point? I mean, all that stuff." So, you know, I think that's applicable to a lot of other games too. Yeah, so it completely depends on the people you play with. <laughs> Pretty much, <laughs> um, yeah. So it it is uh it yeah it's a cool game. Highly recommend if you're interested in doing a especially a non collectible card game. Check out Dominion. You can have a good time just with the base set. That is that that's a pretty decent game. Ascension is a similar type of game in that it's it's also a deck building game, and in it you have uh, resources which are power and and runes, uh, and again and you and you use those power and runes to buy cards and stuff that eventually give you honor. Honor is essentially the equivalent to victory points in Dominion. You need to get honor to win. Whoever has the most honor at the end of the game is the winner. And you use power to uh, use power to attack creatures, and you use runes to buy things. So the way that this works is um, you start off with a certain amount of cards that give, like much like like these other games, you start off with certain cards that give you power and honor, and those are mystics and militia. And in the middle of the deck, in the middle of the game board, they, they have um, a certain number of um, decks, basically, little decks there, and the top part is flipped up. And as you take turns, you can buy from that middle deck, or you can defeat the monsters in the middle deck in order to acquire honor or acquire special, you know, creatures that give you special powers, like more runes, or uh, let you let you treat cards like they're all constructs or stuff like that. And um, and it, and it plays, and it's kind of, it is similar to Dominion in some ways. It's, it's a bit of a faster game. Uh, there's less, there's, there's less cards, and it's, and it's only a two to four player game. Um, and, but it, it's a lot of fun also. Uh, if you like Dominion, there's an excellent chance I think that you would like Ascension. And, uh, and, uh, and, and basically, yeah, it, it's, it, one of the neat things about both Dominion and Ascension is if you don't want to go out and buy the board game necessarily, there are um, apps. If you have an app, uh, something with running iOS or Android, um, there are uh, iPad apps for some of them, and I think there are also Android apps for some of them. I think that's been a really good way to test out some of these board games because these apps are often uh, less expensive than the board game equivalent. So you can you can check them out that way. Um, a lot of a bunch, a lot of fun. Um, getting away from card games a little bit. The other game, I think, the very first non-card game non-like traditional family board game I ever played was uh, Twilight Imperium. Oh, you're opening a can of worms with that one, sir. <laughs> Twilight Imperium. It's a uh, it's from Fantasy Flight Games. Uh, there's a basic game and two expansions out. Uh, that is it is a it is a it is a ton of fun. It's got a bunch of piece a bunch of pieces, and the way that it plays basically is you make a map semi randomly by putting down these hex tiles. And the reason I say semi randomly is because there's different like 
scenarios or things that you can play that will determine where you put the tiles, although uh, you don't actually know what the tiles are until you're putting them out necessarily. Um, and then each player starts with a, an alien race, and every alien race has special powers. So like one alien race, um, they're, they, they have better fighters, which are their little little their little uh, they're little uh, spaceships, basically, that do attacking. And one alien race has the war suns, which are like the Death Stars. Or one alien race has better space docks, and actually, and they can, or they can fly around with their space docks. We call them the space bears, usually, because they look like bears. Um, but yeah, so they have they have all these different kinds of things. And you ha- you have a public objective and a secret objective that you have to accomplish. And there's different ways to beat the game. You can beat the game by doing these objectives. You can beat the game by conquest, by defeating everyone else. You can beat the game by doing a lot of um, and you basically have a there's there's there are these cards that tell you what turn you go in, and that changes every round depending on how you want to be strategic. Uh, and, and that and it's it's set it's up in such a way that if you go like first one round, you don't get to the the person who goes towards the end will get to choose whether or not they go first or someone else goes first. And it depends on what kind of action they want to take. So for example, if I want to take the economy action, so I want to do something that has a number associated with it. So I can take that card and, and, and so on and so on. Um, so it, it's a really cool game. You can win by economics, you can win by politics, you can win by a lot of other things. The first time I ever played that game, it was a 13-hour game. That's the first thing I was going to say is that if you're going to play if you're going to play Twilight Imperium set aside the day we play it once or twice a year and it's an all day affair we you know plan out for breakfast lunch and dinner on it and yeah, yeah. I've had I've had a game go as short as an hour but that was by far the exception I mean usually it's it's like 6 hours <clears throat> and, and especially the the more people you have yes. the longer it's going to be and especially if you don't plan for certain things, we played a certain we played a wormhole scenario where you played um, two different star systems that were combined that that all went to a central um, a third system, a smaller system that had a uh, very good resources, and then you know each system was its own team, and so you had pre-established allies. You're guaranteed not to get instantly gibbed at the beginning by you know someone who got lucky or something like that on resources. And therefore, the, all the battles really took place in this middle territory until someone could push enough to get into the other enemy's ground. That made it more interesting for us. It also kind of dragged it out longer because everyone had time to kind of build up and, and they had a place they could to recover to. So it was both good in that it felt more balanced, but it was also bad in that it really dragged out the game. Yeah, yeah, and and then that was and that was a good game. I like those types of scenarios because I always feel bad when someone gets kicked out really early, and then they have to hang around or or not for the next you know six hours or something like that. But yeah, I, I think it worked. I think it worked out pretty well. A lot of fun, a lot of time. But if you're into like strategy type games and you have the group to play with, it, I would highly recommend it. It's, it's super fun. Um, look it up. Check out Board Game Geek. And you know, there's 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 lots of other games we play, and and we'll go into some of those later on. Um, uh, I think one of these days probably talk about some of the co-op games like uh, Ghost Stories, Pandemic, Yggdrasil, Arkham Horror, that kind of thing, and maybe some of the Watsy games because they have been coming out with a lot of Dungeons and Dragons branded worlds games recently. Uh, some of which have actually been pretty decent. Uh, and also, uh, there's also RPG themed games that we play like uh, Descent and Talisman and stuff like that. So, uh, but I think that's going to be for another time. I think that's mostly what I wanted to talk about today. Uh, did you have anything you wanted to add about? board games well not specifically board games um we we didn't really touch on 
on uh, the RPG games, and I think that's another fairly thick. And, and even yes. you get into RPGs, RPGs in and of themselves get subcategorized. There's they call them role playing games, but there's role is in R O L L, and then role is in R O L E. People kind of get a little bit snobby when it comes to their their role playing games. Um, really, it's all just a matter about having fun in a fantasy type setting with your friends, and as long as your friends have the same overall you know experience in mind, then everyone gets along just fine. But you know, there's a ton of role-playing games, be it the, the White Wolf stuff or GURPS or or um, Rifts or Traveler or Fade or Fudge or Rain or, you know, all, you know, and, and that's not even the, the big daddy, of course, Dungeons and Dragons, which, you know, there's Pathfinder 3rd Edition, 3.5, 4th Edition, and then the 5th Edition coming out. There's a lot of, there's a lot of meat on that bone that I think we can cover. One of the things that, that someone said was, you know, they would like maybe uh, an intro guide into how to get into some of this stuff. I think we've covered some of the trading card stuff well and the, and the deck builder stuff well, but I think there's some more that we can kind of cover from the overarching. We didn't even talk about strategy board games. Like no, and we also yeah, and another one, other theme board games. We played a lot of Battlestar Galactica. Also, <clears throat> there's just so much to cover. I mean, I, I think we can't do it in one episode. Yeah, and and I yeah, but we will come back to this. And like I said, I know some people who are absolute experts in this subject, and and uh, and we can probably uh, talk to a couple of them. I think that'd be great. I think it'd be great to have some guests on to um, kind of give their view of what I'd really like to do is get into some of the design theory behind some of these games. Like what are the, why are certain decisions made for certain mechanics and stuff like that? And, you know, is there a, 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 a driving force to kind of get away from some of the les- legacy mechanics in order to drive you know, new innovation in some of these systems? Yes, I agree. Um, so, but I think is that, I think that's going to be it for this uh, episode. I think so. What are we talking about next time? Well, I i mean, I have to do it. Just as we had to do it for Guild Wars 2, uh, I think we have to talk about Diablo 3. Yeah, I was going to actually say that. Definitely we need to talk about Diablo 3, uh, which is going to come out in like uh, a little more than a week, right? So Yeah, a week and a day. I, my, I'm going to lose my wife. She's a huge Diablo fan, so I plan on, as soon as that game comes out, she won't talk to me for uh, an undetermined period of time as she's just playing that constantly. And did you did you get to play the beta? No, I've actually been kind of sticking away from it purposely because I really want this is something I really want to come into fresh without you know <laughs> anything you know pre-established or ruined for me. Okay, yeah, I played the beta and I'm glad that it was only for a very short period of time that I had access to it. <clears throat> is that a good thing or a bad thing? Oh no, that's that's a good that well you know it kind of depends on how you look at it. No, um, <laughs> that it's a good thing you know for my work and school and everything else. Yeah. <clears throat> gotcha, gotcha. So it was that good. It was very, it was very um, involved and very engrossing. Then, yes, yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about it next week. <laughs> okay. Is it just going to be an all Diablo special, or is there something? Um, else? Well, I was going to talk a little bit about uh, geek music, I think, and and I'll, I'll talk about what I mean when I say that next week. So yeah, I think I think I will talk a little bit about geek music at, at our next podcast. Um, good stuff out there for everyone to listen to beyond Weird Al Yankovic. I know that's sort of the staple, <laughs> but everyone listen to me. There's a lot of good stuff. We'll cover it in in the next one, but yeah. Beyond Weird Al Yankovic. And, and that's going to, yeah, it's going to be partly dependent, and I, I've been testing on different ways to get audio into Skype, and it might end, it might end up having to do some uh, post-editing, which we haven't done a whole lot of uh, 
before this, but you know, we'll see. We're we're enlisting the help of a, a specialist. My nephew is uh, in college for audio mixing and stuff like that, and he's uh, offered to take a whack at it. I really hope he can do something with this episode because I know Carlos, your thing's been kind of fading in and out and causing some goofiness. So I'm hoping that can get cleaned up a little bit. I hope so. All right. Um, yeah. And so if this will work, we should be closing out with a uh, speaking of, of, of geek songs. There's one uh, all about uh, our friend Shia LaBeouf. And this one goes out to my wife, who I know hates Shia LaBeouf with a burning passion. Uh, yeah. And uh, and this is a story of Shia LaBeouf uh, as told by in the style of Vincent Price. Uh, and this is by Rob Cantor. So, yeah, check it out, hopefully. <laughs> All right, and catch us next time. Uh, you can find us on comingoutofthebasement.com. Or on Twitter. Uh, Twitter is COTB1. And, of course, you can email us at podcast at comingoutofthebasement.com. So please let us know if there's something in particular you want us to cover, um, something that we didn't cover enough to your liking. Uh, we do appreciate all feedback we get from everyone. All right, thank you very much for listening. All right, bye, guys. Bye. You're walking in the woods. There's no one around, and your phone is dead. Out of the corner of your eye, you spot him. He's following you, about 30 feet back. He gets down on all fours and breaks into a sprint. He's gaining on you. Shia LaBeouf. You're looking for your car, but you're all turned around. He's almost upon you now, and you can see there's blood on his face. My God, there's blood everywhere. Running for your life From Shia LaBeouf He's brandishing a knife It's Shia LaBeouf Lurking in the shadows Hollywood superstar Shia LaBeouf Living in the woods Shia LaBeouf Killing for sports Shia LaBeouf